Hello, and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the podcast where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this podcast is to be a source of inspirational truth that will awaken a deeper hunger within you for the fire of God to burn brighter and hotter in your life. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering system of the temple, and it also reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that will help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Well, hello and welcome back to Maintain the Flame. I'm Keith Collins. I am your host, and as in every week, I am always honored to be able to come to you to share truths that transform our hearts, our lives, and that really help us to maintain the flame of God within our hearts. And, you know, we hear that a lot, maintain the flame. You hear it from me. You hear about the fire of God, about revival fire and all these things. And, and I love to talk about these things. And they're such a huge part of my life. As I've told you on this this program before, I'm definitely a revivalist at heart. Uh, my heart burns for the things of the Lord Jesus to be manifested in our generation And I love talking about the fire of God and how that relates to us and what that means. And that all-consuming force of God's nature that that (laughs) takes over everything at times. And we've seen this historically. I've, I've shared on this program more than once about the history of great moves of God where the Lord would come into a region by His Spirit. Maybe it's the island of Lewis off the Outer Hebrides Islands in Scotland. I've, I've been to this place. I've been to Barvis. I've been to the church where this revival really broke out in 1949. That revival that, that literally touched the island. I mean, people were radically arrested by the power and the fire of God. I've, I've been to Wales. I've been to Lockhart. I've been to the church at Mariah Chapel there where, where in 1904, after many years of praying, Evan Roberts saw a great move of God break out in his 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 nation, his region of the world in Wales there and and the Lord responded powerfully and and he manifested his glory. So I've I've been to these places, there's a lot of other places I've been. As many of you know, I was in the midst of the Brownsville revival for years. I was in hundreds of services. I was part of the school, eventually became the president of the school of ministry there. And I've, I've been blessed to really experience the Lord on many levels. But here's what I know. We do not have to wait for there to be a great outpouring or revival in a church, in a city, in a region of the world um, before we begin to burn for Jesus. And there's always God's availability that's there to us. And he invites us into deeper places of his love, of his mercy, of his goodness, of his holiness, of his fire, of his power. So we are really concentrated here on this program to to bring people to the realization that there's more to Jesus 
It's not just going to a service once or twice a week or even a prayer meeting. And those things are good and they're valuable and they're needed. It's not just being a part of a small group in a home or maybe you're part of a home church, whatever it looks like. And, and God can use all those things. I, I don't doubt that a bit. But but I'm telling you, my friend, there is a deeper place of manifestation. There's a deeper place of intimacy with the Lord. There's a place of worship that defies logic and it defies human language where that divine union between you and Christ Jesus becomes so real that nothing can separate you, as Paul said, from the love of God. Whether height, depth, principalities, powers, it doesn't matter. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So my heart, my passion as I continue this week talking about the subject that we need revival, this is actually part four. Um, I've got so much on revival in my heart that I'll probably go at least one more, one more program here next week and share on this again. But but as I, I continue on this subject, I, I want you to understand that even though oftentimes I am talking about corporate revival or national revival when I'm talking about this subject, I don't want us ever to forget that we can maintain the flame of God within our hearts. We can walk in personal revival. We can be a people, a prayer, a person of prayer. We can become an intercessor. We can become um, those that, that preach the gospel, that share our testimony, that lay hands on the sick, that cast out devils, that believe God to even raise the dead. I mean, the Lord has given us authority through our relationship with Him. So my challenge to you today as I get into our subject matter again, talking about we need revival, my challenge to you today is this. Friend, steward the flame of God in your heart. Steward the flame of God in your life. Don't just kind of sit back on the sideline of religion and wait for revival to come, but you be a force to reckon with. You, you, you make the devil regret when you wake up in the morning because you are there to do business for, Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are consumed with his passion and with his fire in your heart. Amen. Well, again, this week, I do want to continue with the subject of we need revival. This is my fourth week talking about this. And, and again, we could really go for weeks and weeks, but I think I'll go at least today and then maybe one more session, I think, maybe one more beyond that. But 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 there are some things that I wanted to bring to you today. And I want to just reiterate again that our our verse that we're really focusing on is Hebrews 12, 29 where the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. And I think that's such an important understanding of God's nature, who he is. In other words, um, when fire begins to burn, it does not just, um, you know, present itself in a gentle, nice way. But when fire begins to burn, it consumes whatever is in its path. We look at the the forest fires that, that burn wildly. Oftentimes in the western part of the United States, we have them a lot in this nation, and the Santa Anta winds out in California, when they begin to burn, um, you know, we see these raging fires. And literally, maybe you go to bed one night and you watch a news broadcast, and they say, we've had 10,000 acres burn up until now. And you wake up the next day, and through the night, 30,000 more acres burned. In other words, fire is consuming. And if God is comparing himself to a consuming fire, that I think we need to pay attention to that. You see, when the Lord begins to move in power, in demonstration, in fire, it rearranges everything. Nothing can stay the same. Nothing can be as it was. But the Lord in his nature comes to, if I can say it this way, to overwhelm, or another word is obliterate. He, he, he obliterates everything in his past. 
in his path, excuse me. And one thing that he does is he deals with the human heart. And um, he brings us to deep conviction oftentimes, deep repentance and purifying and cleansing. And it is in these moments that we experience this this incredible surge of who God is, who God really is, his, his nature. He's loving, he's long-suffering, he's kind. I understand that. But friend, he's holy. He's a judge. He's a consuming fire. And, um, and when he is present, his nature is present. And when his nature is present, his fire manifests. And again, we see this in settings throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of the Word of God, where the Lord would move into a setting and and oftentimes, quickly, suddenly, people were brought to the awareness that God is near. In other words, oftentimes it wasn't even connected to somebody preaching, even though, of course, God has and continues to use the preaching of the Word, which is so foundational and it's so needed. But oftentimes, what we've seen throughout history, whether it be in the Hebrides revival, where, where the Lord began to deal with men who were literally working at the weaving loom, the history says, and as they were weaving um, you know, um, wool at their weaving loom, then oftentimes we read where the Spirit of God would move into that place where they were working, and they would be gripped with conviction in the Welsh revival. Men going to the pub or the tavern would be stricken with conviction. We read in the ministry of John Wesley in the 1700s where oftentimes as he was preaching, um, men would go into deep, deep conviction. And he would show up to preach in a small village and thousands of people would be there. Oftentimes many more people would be there than that lived in the entire area. And there was a divine magnetism. This is another sign of revival. There's a, a drawing of the people of God. And I've, I've said for years, and I don't think I coined the phrase, but maybe I heard it many years ago, but God can do more in a second of revival than we can do in a hundred years of human effort and, and human strategy when it comes to religion or advancing the gospel. So, so again, we're talking about the fact that when God manifests his glory, friend, everything begins to change. And again, my prayer my heartbeat is for revival in the church. The church needs revived. The church in the West needs revived. Now, I have, I've traveled the world, and I've been in many parts of the world where it is dangerous to even admit that you're a Christian, dangerous to the human flesh, of course, not dangerous to the spirit man. And, you know, many people give their lives. They suffer for the gospel. The church is persecuted. There's an underground church in different parts of the world, whether that be China or Saudi Arabia or Iran or North Korea. And... Um, Yemen, maybe. In, in other words, these, these parts of the world um, have a different, I would say, um, a different breed, if I could use that word, different breed of Christianity oftentimes than what we see in America or e- even in the Western world. There is an understanding that, that the gospel brings about persecution because of the truth that is conveyed. So, so these, these individuals live with eternity in view. They, they live with the understanding that that this could be my last day on this earth, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this is a reality to them. It's not just a Bible study, or it's not just something that we say whenever we're teaching about missionaries in the past that have maybe been martyred for the faith. This is a reality to them. And, and I would say when a church is revived, one of the main things that I believe comes into view is eternity. Eternity begins to eclipse the things of this world. The, the, as the old song says, the things of this world grow strangely dim 
in the light of God's glory and his grace. When we turn our eyes upon Jesus and when eternity becomes the air that we breathe as the people of God, then a fire is ignited in our hearts. And we are willing by life or by death, as I said last week, to to do what God has called us to do. So, so when we talk about Hebrews 12, 29, our God being a consuming fire, he changes the atmosphere. He changes the dynamics of our, our strategies, our plans, our agendas, our goals. Um, you know, we are a generation that, um, that is really connected to our vision statement, our mission statement. I'm not saying that's a sin or anything, but, but oftentimes we get so connected to a statement or a slogan that we cease to be connected to the fire of God. And I'm telling you, the fire of God, my friend, takes care of things that we can never take care of with a slogan or a statement. So when we look at this this nature of God, this fiery dynamic that really represents who he is, I mean, that's he said, I God is a consuming fire. That is who he is. We, we see this on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament where the Lord would come down on that mountain and, and fire and smoke would come up from that mountain. And the Bible even says that mountain would literally shake and... and and quake and and of course great fear would come over the children of Israel and and only Moses could go to the very top and Joshua was able to go part way up but but in other words we see the fire of God manifested early in the history of Israel early in the history of the human race and and we see that that God is is this this fire then we move over um, even to the New Testament on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts we read where on the day of Pentecost that they were in the upper room in one mind and one accord, and, and it was the day of Pentecost, 120. We know the story, but but fire literally rested upon those individuals in that room. You could literally see a flame of fire. In other words, God revealing his nature once again through fire. God revealing his his very character through, through this glorious manifestation of fire. And then, of course, the writer of Hebrews, as I'm sharing here today, says that our God is a consuming fire. Now, as we look at the Old Testament, I, I believe there were um, multiple revival-type settings that we see in the Old Testament. You know, the term that describes or, or even alludes to revival in the Old Testament comes from a Hebrew word that is, I'll pronounce this as best I can, but it's it's kayah. Um, or, or kaya. It's it's a primary root meaning actually to to be alive or to live or to to make alive, to to nourish up, to preserve, to to quicken, to recover, to repair, to restore, to be made whole. So so this concept of revival in the Old Testament is actually used fourteen times in the Old Testament scripture. And and one example can be seen in Psalm eighty five and verse six where the psalmist said, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? So, so the cry again is from a place of sin, but the cry is, would you revive us? Would you make us alive again so that we may rejoice again in who you are? Another example of this in the Old Testament can be seen in, in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, where it says, Lord, I have heard of your name or your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, Repeat or again the word kaya, revive them in our day, in our time, make them known in wrath, remember mercy. Again, Israel being under the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the cry from the heart of the of the condition of the situation is God kaya revive. 
Make known your goodness again. Bring us to repentance in wrath, in your judgment, in your wrath. Remember to be merciful about uh, over your people. Remember your people Israel. And Lord, show forth your mercy. So, so really, in light of Old Testament Scripture, it's clear that true revival or visitation of the Lord comes through obedience to the Word of God. And I, I believe with all my heart, as we have studied the history of revival, especially church revival, church history, um, oftentimes it's because there's great sin or staleness or spiritual dullness that has come over the people of God. I've, I've told you, America's had two great awakenings, one in the 1700s in the colonies and then one in the 1800s. And it was in these times that, that there was a religious spirit, but there was deadness and dormancy, sin, and, and God would awaken vessels. He would awaken, again, revivalists, and they would begin to burn with the things of God, with the purposes of God. And in the midst of their burning, what would they do? They would call men and women to repentance. They would call the culture to humility and brokenness, as in the Old Testament when the prophets would come. Um, they would call the people of God to repentance. They would address the kings of Israel, and they would um, acknowledge and point out idolatry and perversion and even the, the sacrifice of, of children to demon gods. I mean, this, these were, were seasons of great, great national darkness. And as I look at so many of the nations of the world, I'm an American. I live in America, and I know some of you are listening to this from different parts of the world. But as I look at my nation, my nation is in deep darkness. We are in a moral downfall, a moral our decline and free fall. And the only thing that's going to help America is for the church to get right with God, for us to humble ourselves, to cry out to God, to, to acknowledge that in our own ability, we have not been able to do anything. We need revival. We need the power of God. We need the glory of God to once again arrest the people of God and bring us back to normal Christianity. What is normal Christianity? Hearts that burn for more of Jesus. Hearts that, that, that burn for deeper places of prayer. Hearts that burn to, to do the work of missionaries, to do the work of evangelists, to, to plant churches, to, to change communities for the glory of God, to be willing to lay our lives down if need be in order that Jesus Christ will be glorified in our generation, not concerned with, with um, our establishments and our denominations and our paychecks and um, in our comfort as Americans, but consumed with the eternal purposes of Jesus Christ where we burn with revival fire and nothing but nothing can stop us and we are unwilling to compromise and we're not for sale. Friend, that's normal Christianity. Listen, as we look at these examples of revival in the Old Testament, and th there's many I could talk about. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because of our time. Maybe I'll hit some of this a little more next week. But but we can see the revival in Jacob's household in Genesis 35, the revival under Asa in 2 Corinthians 15, the revival under Jehoash in 2 Kings 11 and 12, the revival under Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18, also the revival under Josiah in 2 Kings 22 and 23. And, and when I look at all of these, the, the characteristics that I see in all of these revivals and all of these places where the people came back to God is that they occurred in days of deep moral darkness and national depression. 
And I believe that that we are in that place. You see, they, they generally began in the heart of a consecrated servant of God, oftentimes a prophet, who became the energizing power behind it or, or the agent that, that God used to quicken and lead the nation back to faith in and obedience to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Listen, each revival rested on what? The Word of God. And most were the result of preaching and proclaiming God's law with power, with authority, infused by the Spirit of God Himself. These men that burned among the kings of Israel, that burned among the people of Israel, whether it be Samuel or Jeremiah, whoever it might be, these men came as burning torches, as firebrands that were infused infused by the nature of God himself and they carried his heart with passion and they were willing to die for what they believed in and some of them went through great trials and persecution and they were despised and they were hated because of the spirit of the age however they proceeded in their mandate and I believe right now more than ever before we must be faithful to the mandate upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to burn among a people that are dying and lost without Jesus. We must be re- we must be revived. We must be restored. We must come alive to the purposes of Christ. Listen, each of these revivals in the Old Testament, they all resulted in what? In a return to the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel alone. In other words, each of these witnessed the, the destruction of, of, of idols, in other words, the worship of demon gods. And that was one of the grave sins, one of the Ten Commandments, that we would have no graven images before us. And what does Israel do? One of the, the first great sins that Israel commits when they leave Israel is they, they, they make a golden calf while Moses is away receiving the commandments, receiving the law. They're literally reveling in idolatry. And friend, that, that's a picture of so much of the church even now, that while... Our nation is in great need of revival while the world is in great need of an awakening. So much of the church has erected idols, idols of ministry, idols of fame, idols of popularity, idols of money, idols of success. And we worship at the feet of these idols while we use Jesus to validate that we're even in the ministry. My friend, these idols must come down. Revival fire burns the idols up. It melts them down. They are consumed in the nature of the living God. You see, in the Old Testament, in each revival, there was a a, a recorded separation from sin and purity and righteousness was restored. In every one of these moves of God, they returned to doing what? Offering sacrifices unto the Lord. The Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, the book of Romans, that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is just our reasonable or our natural service that we do unto him. He owns us, friend, and it's a picture of the sacrificial offerings unto the Lord in the Old Testament under the law where the Lord demanded sacrifice. Listen, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, the covenant of blood, Hebrews says, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Why is that? Because, friend, the sacrifice is what commands the fire. And only a life that is sacrificial and giving to the purposes of Jesus can carry the fire, can maintain the flame of God. That is the only kind of people that can carry revival fire. Listen, almost all recorded Old Testament revivals show a restoration 
of the sacrifice. They show a restoration of national blessing, even national prosperity, as, as the people of God were brought back to the awareness of who God really is and what God can really do. I, I've always been amazed um, when I've studied the history of the children of Israel, how they can so quickly go in and out of idolatry, how they can so quickly go in and out of um, sin and, and unrighteousness. But, but then again, I look at the church. I look at the American church. I look at the church around the world, and historically, there's not a lot of difference, even though, of course, there's always been a remnant of people, and I believe there's a remnant today that are passionately in love with Jesus, that have a heart for the things of God. Um, the fact remains, my friend, there are many people that play church, that go through the motions, and and there's no passion, there's no prayer, there's no consecrated life, there's no missional heart, there's no purpose to existence, just to kind of consume what they can consume and, and live for another blessing, but their lives are not depicted as a living sacrifice. Listen, I want to reiterate what I said a, a few minutes ago. A sacrifice, a sacrifice is the only thing that can be consumed. In other words, many people want the fire of God and they want to live their own lives. Now listen, I understand God said about Israel that the gifts and callings are without repentance. And I know there are people that have gifts in their lives and have anointings in their lives and yet they are in sin. So I do understand that, but the fire of God the very glory, the very nature of God, I believe it It costs you, you. In other words, you, you can't live as you want to live and experience the fire of God the way that God wants you to experience it. Listen, we need revival. The church needs revival. But my dear friend, it starts with me. It starts with you. Um, we can't wait for a denomination to once again see a move of God. You know, the... The Methodist movement at one time was a fiery, it may be the most powerful evangelistic force on the earth at one point, and I would even say a great apostolic movement. I, I think John Wesley, even though he never claimed that he was clearly an apostolic man, and he trained leaders, and he planted churches, and he he impacted his world. I mean, he his, his legacy continues to prophesy in 2022, and John Wesley left a fiery mark upon his generation that continues to burn, even though so much of the Methodist church has gone into lawlessness and, and, and unbridled sin and, and nothing's wrong and so forth. And so I'm sure there are still some within the Methodist church that are in love with Jesus. So I don't want to condemn all of them or, or be critical, but the reality is much of the Methodists, I mean, there's even been votes in their, their um, annual meetings about accepting homosexuals and as, as to be ordained for ministry. So we, we, we've got this challenging dynamic that we see, and what was once a burning, passionate, fiery movement has now become a religious institution that oftentimes has no power and no authority, and that's that's with many denominations. So listen, I'm not waiting for the Methodist Church to burn with the fire of God again. I'm not waiting for a Pentecostal denomination or a charismatic movement to burn for Jesus. I know that my calling and my mandate is to maintain the flame of God, and as a result, to carry revival fire. And if it's not popular, if it's not comfortable, then i got to carry it anyway. And I've got to live as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Friend, what does your heart long for today? I, I want to pray for you right now. 
And I'm going to ask that the Lord Jesus would visit you, that the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, that there would be a fresh baptism of the fire of God upon your life today. And you would never be the same, whether you're listening um, in your home, in your car, wherever you're listening, even by way of, I know this is going out through some radio waves, however you're listening, that you would experience the fire of God today as you never have before. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your glory. I thank you for your purposes. I thank you, God, that you are moving in our lives. Now, Lord, let your fire burn in the hearts of those that are listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame. Again, I'm Keith Collins. I'm honored to be with you each week. Come back next week for another episode. If you want to visit our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org. You can also find us at IGF or impactgf.org. That's impactgf.org. God bless you, and may the fire of God burn hotter and hotter and hotter in your life as you become a living sacrifice unto the Lord. God bless you again. We will see you again next week on Maintain the Flame. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins. I want to ask you to please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then please subscribe and listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about my ministry, please go to keith-collins.org or impactgf.org.